You're listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. Welcome everyone, I'm Greg Masters, also known on Twitter as At2HealthGuru. I'm Managing Director of Health Innovation Media as well as the producer and co-host of Pop Health Week. In this live from HIMSS 2019 segment, my colleague and co-host, Nick Vanderhaden, MD, also known as Dr. Nick, chats with two giants in the health IT and healthcare transformational space. We did our recording from the second story of the Nuance Communications booth. First up is the former CTO of the United States under President Obama and currently the president at Care Journey, Anish Chopra followed by Assistant Medical Director Emeritus at Kaiser Permanente Southern California, John Madison, MD. Do enjoy the insights of these two dynamic thought leaders. So this is Dr. Nick. I'm uh, the incrementalist. I'm here live at uh, HIMSS 2019 uh, with Healthcare Now Radio. And we are Health Innovation Media and we're streaming live and very excited to be joined by Anish Chopra. He is the president of Care Journey. Anish, thank you for making the time to come and join well, us. I'm excited and thanks for having me. So what an exciting hymns. It, it is, you know, it, it gets bigger and better and, you know, who knows what's going to happen yeah. next year. So um, I know you're on stage. Um, uh-huh. I, I heard great things uh, from some of the feedback and some of the thank interactions. You. I thank think you. people really liked, uh, you know, the refreshing view. Part of that comes, and you know, maybe not everybody knows your background, but it would be helpful just to get a little bit of perspective sure. as to how you got to this point yeah. um, on your healthcare journey and healthcare technology. Yeah, so John Holemka, who we love in this industry, uh, and I used to ride the M2 shuttle bus when I was a graduate student at Harvard. No in kidding, the late I 90s. did not know that. <laughs> and so I was a, a graduate student on the Kennedy School side, he was getting his MIT uh, master's. And we were talking about how the internet would affect healthcare. And that idea has been nagging at me for years and years and years. I spent a decade at the advisory board company, wrote research studies on, on this topic of the internet and healthcare, and then uh, spent uh, a good chunk of time in the government. I was Virginia's Secretary of Technology, where healthcare IT was among the first priorities right. that the governor uh, made uh, on my purview. And then President Obama, in naming me Chief Technology Officer, made the healthcare IT portfolio right. a prominent part of the agenda. So this is something that I've been focused on. I'm so proud of what Governor Levitt said yesterday at the very outset of our keynote. This has been a bipartisan endeavor. Yeah. While Washington is whipsaw on healthcare reform and you're up, you're down, you're in, you're out. As to this issue, and I thought the, uh, the just the visuals yesterday were so refreshing to have uh, Republicans, uh, Seema Varma and, and Governor Levitt, uh, celebrate what uh, we had done in the Obama administration, right. myself and Karen DeSalvo and many others. That's the point, that this happens to be the uh, bipartisan focus and hope that if we get this right, it will truly unlock the conundrum around cost and quality that we have to tackle uh, to make the country competitive in the next generation. It, it, it's always extraordinary to me when you look at this and, and think about what you just said. The idea that, you know, healthcare affects us all. So, in, I mean, it's a personal journey. Yes. And the idea that this even, you know, has the, the slightest sense of this split of views. How could we possibly be different in our viewpoints? We're all 
pulling for the same direction yes. for our family, our yes. parents, our children. Um, so it, it's exciting that we do see a little bit more of that community. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the yeah. uh, discussions that you had for those that, you know, uh, people listening. Yes. Um, in that panel. So I, I know there were some key points that came out as, yeah, as that. I, I would say there were three things that came out of the panel that I think would be useful for the audience. One, through the fog and clouds, there's now certainty, I should say clear regulatory pathways, that the consumer has the right to their entire health record in a machine-readable format available to an application of their choice. And that just unequivocal statement when it comes to no fees, it's got to be machine readable. It's got to be open APIs. It is just a clear bedrock principle. Absolutely. And that feels terrific. Second, it introduces the notion that health plans, who are heretofore exempt from any of these interoperability rules, they now have to step up and uh, sort out how they're going to provide claims history and other care coordination right. services. So that just introduces the plans into the equation. And CMS is leading by example. That led to a chuckle in the room where Governor Levitt said, we now have a government that has led the private sector in opening up data to consumers. And that made him set the mantra that it's now the private sector's time to come back. Yep. And then last but not least, uh, I, I, I may refer to this as the net neutrality provision, which is uh, all of the data holders, and that could be vendors, it could be health systems, doctor's offices, data holders, uh, understand that opening up this data will incur some cost, the infrastructure cost of API management, API gateways. And uh, there is now a provision that allows them to recoup those costs, so there's an acknowledgement there. But, and this is why I think of it as net neutrality, the cost must relate to truly the cost structure the associated cost. and that the value-added services, which are today bundled in how the data is used in the real world, now you have to compete on a level playing field so you can't preferentially treat your app preferenced by access to the data versus a competitor's app. And that feels very net neutrality-esque and that's very exciting for me that we've got a now a, a kind of a business model for the future of healthcare data, which is exciting all around. Yeah, I, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't recall who coined net neutrality just in general, I, you know, a core principle in terms of, you know, sharing of information. But I love the idea from a healthcare standpoint, the idea that that's not the case is, you know, just terrible. That's right. So a little bit of time left. Tell us what you're doing and, you know, what's going on in your world. You've you've had a yeah. really exciting journey. It's been a lot of fun. But you're not finished. No. Look, I have, uh, I run a company called Care Journey and ostensibly we focus on extracting insights from Medicare data to help payers, pharma companies and providers understand their role in this move to value. That's the narrow focus, extracting insight out of the Medicare data for, for them. But more broadly, the dream is to be an operating system for health information fiduciaries. I believe there'll be a new crop of healthcare entities that are akin to what you do with Vanguard and Fidelity, mm -hmm. where you entrust a human uh, with your information and you develop a plan and you better navigate the financial options that are available to you. I believe a health information fiduciary might help you shop for a health plan, pick a primary care doctor, make judgments about whether and how you access the delivery system. And those folks are going to want to organize your health information, run some decision support. We ostensibly would like to be the operating system that would support said entity. Could it be a retailer? Could it be a pharma company? Could it be a doctor's office, an ACO, a health plan? 
I view it as all of the above. We'll see a competitive marketplace of organizations saying, entrust me with your data. We'll help you make better decisions. We just want to be the, call it the operating system inside to make sure that the information that they get is processed and used to understand the role that that uh, value-based care, care will make in their lives. So that's the hope. So I, I love the concept, but I, I, I want to tweak you a little bit Please. And, and say, you know, you, you picked Vanguard specifically. Yeah. And they're out in a whole different zone when we talk about investment strategies and tracking and lower yes. costs. Do you see that as part of that picture and maybe you as the Vanguard in this? Well, we don't want to be the service okay. delivery, but we hope that there will be Vanguard-like services okay. that will help you make smarter choices. Well, on any research uh, study written about the uh, efficacy of the decisions we make in healthcare, uh, there's because of the information asymmetry, we find ourselves making less uh, helpful decisions. People that pick plans often pay more than they right. should. Yep. People who pick primary care doctors often lack access to the services they're yep. entitled to, and on and on and on. So my presumption here is that uh, I do hope Walmarts of the world, which are like Vanguard, may appear as partners in this journey, uh, but there may also be premium healthcare delivery systems that say we want to do this uh, just as well. So that to me is the big vision, that we're going to see a new market emerge of existing potential players as well as new entrants to say, let's help you. And if we remember that video game Frogger where you're trying to safely navigate to the other no, side. before my time. My, exactly. <laughs> well, in theory, if we could help people navigate the delivery system a right. little bit smarter, uh, we might actually uh, get to a lower cost, higher value delivery system faster yep. than if we waited for every touch point in the system to improve its quality and outcomes. So that's fantastic. I just want to say, you know, also a recurring opportunity because it's every year. I know because we all go through it. Yes, right? it so, is. Um, so it just remains to thank you for taking thank the you. time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. It. I know you're extremely busy. Thanks for joining me here on I uh, love it. Healthcare Thanks for Radio. having me. Keep up the great work. This is Dr. Nick. I'm live from HIMSS 2019 on Healthcare Now Radio. And uh, we are live streaming uh, from Nuance booth 3345. And we are um, uh, delighted to be welcoming a new guest uh, onto the program, uh, Dr. John Matteson. He is the assistant uh, director um, uh, for uh, Kaiser Permanente um, and uh, delighted to have uh, yet another physician. We're on a roll with uh, physicians for the show. Uh, John, thanks for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure, Nick. Good to see you again. Uh, always a pleasure. Um, I, you and I have uh, long had uh, interactions. I know you've been in this space and, and, and indeed since, in, since the Bronze Age. Really? Yeah, yes. I, yeah. I, I feel a little bit like that too. Um, <laughs> and you've seen lots of things going on, lots of experiences. I've certainly heard lots of uh, um, your presentations as you've sort of thought about the future and where things are going. Before we get into that, wanted to just get a little bit of perspective for the listeners. Hear a little bit about you, who you are and how you got to the place where you are and your sort of perspective on the, the technology journey. Sure. Well, I like to describe myself as a recovering uh, marine biologist and evolutionary biologist. And uh, then I went to medical school and now I'm uh, practiced in a number of different specialties and I'm a recovering physician. And I have written code and, and designed a number of systems we've taken to scale. 
um, at Kaiser Permanente where I've been Chief Medical Information Officer and so I'm now a recovering geek. Um, and Do you ever recover from that? Uh, no, no, no. I but, hope uh, not. No, no. It, recovery is an ongoing process. Okay. Yeah. And so now I'm recovering from being CMIO. So I'm actually uh, beginning to live a, ver a, a new dream. And the new dream for me is I'm going to be working with some of the smartest folks I've had the privilege of meeting wow. um, during my career and helping to accelerate product development through various roles in, uh, in, a, in a variety of different venues. So I'm uh, my... My passion is around, uh, you know, really creating a behavioral symphony of wellness um, to overcome all of the negative environmental cues that we have for our right. health and fitness, um, and to do that through the use of modern technology and, and restore some of the ancient wisdom uh, as represented in things like the blue zones, where right. yep. we realize that you don't need uh, necessarily the latest pharmaceutical or the latest surgery to have good health. So there's a lot more involved in good health uh, than that. So how to, how to leverage this glorious convergence of exponential technologies in ways that help restore ancient wisdom and gen genuinely produce health and happiness as opposed to reactive disease care. So that's, I'm, I'm stepping into uh, uh, a very new role in that I'm going to be much more directly involved with uh, the development of new technologies and the convergence of those technologies. So there's a lot to unpack there that I, I want to dig into a little bit. So you talk about the sort of ancient wisdom and part of me feels like, you, you know, for a long time humanity was pretty good at some of this stuff maybe yes. and, yes. you know, we've sort of failed. So interested in your perception and, you know, what's being applied there. There's the whole CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy and making the right choices. But, but let's start on the blue zones because one of the things that's really intriguing to me about those is when you look at them, you can't pull out single things or, you know, even exactly broad right. groups of, oh, well, this is what we do. What's going on? You just, you just nailed it, Nick. <laughs> um, that is the problem, is that healthcare is trying to, to solve population care and disease management purely through a healthcare lens. The educational system is trying to solve education purely through an educational lens. Um, the legal system is dealing with issues purely through a legal lens. The first responders are looking at things through their lens. The social workers are looking at it through their lens. And historically, uh, we've been, our communities have been very siloed. And the beauty of the ancient wisdom has been that we've been much more integrated in our communities and much more integrated in our thinking about um, what constitutes a healthy life and what constitutes a meaningful life. And what I'm passionate about and have been uh, all along is how do we bring together, how do we catalyze and stimulate and create communities around health so that there's coordination because many of these problems associated with the diseases and disorders of lifestyle, starting off with obesity but, but running straight into right. diabetes, heart disease, cancer, stroke, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, those are all intimately scientifically connected with disorders of lifestyle. How do we, rather than try and solve these piecemeal through each of those silos, how do we begin thinking about healthy communities um, that generate health? And, and the author, Dan Butner of Blue Zones, has just published his latest book of Blue Zones of Happiness. And he's looked at cities around the world to see what are the things that constitute mm the infrastructural aspects and the cultural aspects of healthy communities. And so I think there's a huge opportunity there, to, just like we're seeing here at HIMSS, 
in the convergence of exponential technologies towards much more powerful solutions, we're starting to see the movement that I would like to help catalyze, and that is around the convergence of community resources towards a behavioral symphony of wellness, so that instead of seeing a billboard that says, you deserve a break today, go eat a Big Mac, <laughs> there will be much more healthier cues. And, and I think that there are ways that other cultures have done this, uh, both way back in history as well as contemporaneously. And I think that we have a golden opportunity, and I think 2019 is a pivot year. I think we're seeing an awakening to the fact that all these siloed solutions, whether it's in technology or community resources uh, or smart cities, that the siloed approach is not gonna get us where we want to go. It is the convergence, and so both at the technology level and at the community level, uh, I think the opportunities are just, just glorious. So interesting, you bring up the uh, you know blue zones of happiness. I wonder. I, I'm willing to bet that uh, De Denmark is um, you know high on that list. There was a, a corresponding book that sort of looked at that. A year of living Denmark, Danishly. Denmark has done some really astonishing. They don't they don't call people uh, unemployed there. They're they're just they're they're between jobs. Right. And and there's there's whole constructs. What a of, simple idea, right? Exactly. And 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 what's in a name? What's in a word? A lot. Yeah. Um, and so how we, and, and it, this is not about words, but words are a manifestation of deeper thinking and deeper yeah. sentiment and deeper value sets. And so depriving people of dignity um, is one of the things that this yeah. siloed approach has, has uh, inadvertently um, uh, delivered. And so I think a lot of the conflict that we see uh, on the global stage and the polarization we see on the global stage is a direct consequence of, of not listening to each other, not paying attention to our common values, not reinforcing our common values and reaching across uh, cultural and philosophical uh, boundaries and, and creating more coherent solutions. So is your concept in part uh digital blue zones? Can we create create communities in the same way and, and make them digital and have the same... Not, not so much. No? Not so much. I think that that technology is always a tool and, so it, and technology can it be... Facilitator. Yeah, a catalyst and facilitator, right. absolutely. But structurally, it must be based upon human principles, human behaviors, human values. Right. Um, and then the technology be aligned with those values okay. in ways that conform to a social construct that is inclusive, yep. um, and uh, particularly that focuses on early childhood experiences. So right. Frederick Douglass has famously said, it is much easier to create strong, resilient children than it is to repair broken men. Yeah. And so in this community-based approach, we really need, if you look at the 18, 19% of GDP being spent on disease care in the United States, if, if a fraction of that were reallocated to building healthy habits in young children, better parenting skills in parents for how to build resilience into their children, how to give them the healthy habits that are evident in the blue zones and the blues, blue zones of health and blue zones of happiness, then um, I believe, and, and there's an economist at University of Chicago who's actually studied this and shown a 7x return on investment right. for early childhood development and investment. And so we can't abandon the, the kind of care that we can deliver um, uh, for people who are already sick, but at the same time, if we don't see a systematic shift in resources towards investing in our children, 
we are just going to be chasing our tails forever with better technology, but nonetheless, right. remaining a disease care state. So back to your question, are these going to be digital health communities? They'll be digitally augmented communities of health and wellness and happiness. And I think that, that there are experiments going on around the world and around the country right now. Um, and I think that to the extent that we can apply some of the fruits of our labors in the digital technology revolution, particularly around the convergence of technologies, in support of, in alignment with those kinds of healthy communities, uh, I think I think we're gonna we're gonna see a pivot in how we conceive of health itself um, that is long overdue. 2019 pivot here, Absolutely. pivot year. You heard it here first. Just saying prediction. Um, so let's uh, talk a little bit about CBT uh, behavioral sure. therapy and sure. you know those nudges. Uh, right. You know one of the sort of recurring themes I always have is. You know, people don't get up in the morning going, how can I be unhealthy? How, I, how, you know, how am I not going to right. exercise? And we know there's all of these impacts. How do we change that? What, what, what's been your sort of experience and potential to sort of turn that around? We, we, right. we, have, we need right. a 180, right? Right. And so we can't boil the ocean and fix everybody's problem overnight. Yeah. But um, one of the things that's really inspired me is the work by, done by uh, Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler in the book Connected. And what they looked at is the propagation of so-called non-communicable diseases like obesity yeah. and unhealthy habits right. through social networks. And they behave as if they were it, a virus. It, it's extraordinary, isn't it? it, it, it to classify them as non-communicable is really misleading because they're very communicable diseases. Right. Yeah. And so, I think what we need to do is we need to be we need to be able to build uh, beachheads and 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 seed communities with um, a a very tightly reinforced integration of services, particularly focused on children, and then begin to grow that out and scale it. We don't know how to scale this yet. There are lots of, of interesting and encouraging experiments that haven't been scaled. But one of the things that I'm really fascinated by is applying the same kind of rigor, discipline, science, and research to how do you scale community wellness and a behavioral symphony of wellness, starting off with existing communities and bringing the coordination, collaboration, and the technical underpinning support right to create the, the, the core of a healthier existence where your behavioral cues are much more aligned with your own values and obje objectives and priorities so that you're not waking up in the morning thinking, I'm gonna be healthy today and just get barraged with unhealthy cues all day long. That's just not the, the solution set that, that works. That's what we have. What we need to do is to be able to create um, at scale many more opportunities for, for just like we say in clinical decision support, make the right thing to do the easiest thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. So we need, at a community level, we need to make the healthiest and the kindest thing right. to do the easiest thing to do. So the whole notion of, of placing more value on meaning and purpose and kindness and respect and collaboration at the community level is going to help reinforce our first thought in the morning is I want to live a really healthy day to day. Right. And rather than pummel it, with you deserve a break today, go eat a Big Mac, um, we will reinforce it with many more healthy messages about healthy sleeping, healthy socialization, uh, healthy eating, healthy exercise. And when we do that, when we can achieve that at scale um, in one community, 
we will hopefully be able to replicate that community after community after community. And like Tip O'Neill once said, all politics is local. Well, all change is local and, 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 and all transformation is local. But that being said, and, and the necessity of local leadership is critical, there are going to be formalisms about how you make it easier for inspired communities to achieve their goals faster, more safely, more efficiently, and more inexpensively through the use of some of these augmenting technologies. So I, I you know, clearly love that whole concept. I think we're in desperate need, and I, you know, I complete agreement with that need to sort of find those communities and the communicable. The one thing I just want to sort of put my stake in the ground, um, you know, is sleep. And you, you talk about the sort of waking up, but in fact, that's part of the continuum in my view. And, you know, the idea that sleep is just a pillar is, I, I think, false. I think it's the foundation of health and, you know, is an integral part of that. And you mention it, but I, I see it as a sort of, you know, real uh, key element to all well, of there, this. Well, there, there's pretty incontrovertible scientific evidence that if you're not getting uh, regular sleep, you will weigh more. You will uh, put on the pounds and have all the consequences of that. So really? it's not just diet and exercise. Uh, sleep is included. But I'd also like to highlight what is frequently neglected, and that is the health of our social relationships. So Carnegie right. Mellon did a fantastic study a couple of years ago published in uh, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences where they took hundreds of students and they exposed them all to the same dose of a virus, cold virus, and to see who would get sick and how sick they would get. And then they took their Facebook timeline and they gave them a questionnaire about their social support structures. And what was fascinating is predictably those that had good social support structures were more resilient and resistant to getting infected. And if they did get a cold, their symptoms were less. But in addition to that, if they looked at their timeline, the more hugs they had had in the prior two weeks, the less likely they were to, to get sick or be sicker than their uh, those who did get sick in the cohort. And one of the fascinating things is that when you have a healthy social support infrastructure, you're much more resilient to stress. So you could be under more stress than someone without that support structure and be less at risk of getting sick than they are. So more stress but a healthier support structure, you're better off than less stress without a healthy social support structure. Fantastic stuff. John, I want to thank you for making the time. I know you're a busy uh, guy at this show. There's lots going on. So thank you for joining us here uh, on Healthcare Now Radio, uh, live from HIMSS 2019. My pleasure. Thanks, Nick. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.